Well, good morning, Life Point. It is so good to be with you all this morning. We get to gather together and we get to worship the Lord. And friends, that is something to be excited about. So I hope you're excited. I'm excited. Uh, but if you're new and joining us today, uh, whether you are here in the auditorium, whether you're watching online, uh, I'm really glad that you are joining. Uh, my name is Pastor Adam. I would love to get to meet you. I would love to get to know you. Uh, after the service, I'll be out in the lobby. Come say hi. Uh, I would love to start up a conversation with you. Uh, but if you are new, I highly encourage you to text the word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314, and you follow the prompts. Uh, and this is a really great tool for, you know, us to get to know you, you get to know us a little bit better. We get to start up that conversation, start up that relationship, uh, and that's something we want to be doing here at LifePoint. We want to be building relationships. Uh, also, you guys have been hearing about it, uh, but we are doing some fundraising for Shield 616, which is an organization that is going to be getting the East Helena Police Department body armor, like rifle-ready body armor. Uh, we want to, as LifePoint, we want to be reaching out into the community, and a great way to do that is love our local law enforcement. Uh, so if you are wanting to donate to this fund, you can go to lifepointmt.org give. You hit the tab that says Shield 616. Or you can go directly to their website and make sure you select East Helena. Um, and lastly, you guys have been hearing about it. Maybe as you walk through the hallway this morning, you saw pictures on the side of the hallway. It's our building expansion. We are going to be building. Um, if you go to lifepointmt.org, you can, and you hit that building expansion button up at the top right, you can see, you know, a whole bunch of information on it. You can see, you know, what it's going to look like, how you can help support it, how you can help give to it. Um, and there's QR codes. You can see, you know, 3D, um, you know, examples of what it's going to look like. So definitely, if you haven't already, go check out the building expansion. Uh, but if you got your Bible this morning, open it up to James chapter 1. We get to continue our series in the book of James. Uh, and we're going to be here for a little bit. Uh, last week, Pastor John said that we're going to be in the book of James for a couple months. And I think we're probably going to be in it a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, James is, is dense. He is, he's a, it's a thick book. It's a short book, but a lot of content in it. Um, and I like James. James is, you know, my type of guy. He is intense. Uh, you know, he has a lot to say. And this is what James focuses on is, is spiritual maturity. It's not necessarily what we believe, but how we live. And James wants to get up in your business. Like, I feel like if you invited James over for dinner, he's the type of guy who's like opening up your pantries and like opening up the closets, like what's in here? Because he kind of does that with the way that we live. James is intense. And I know a lot of us in here, we are, a lot of us are parents in here. Um, and, and I want to ask you the question. Uh, do you remember the first day you brought your firstborn kid home? Like, I know for a lot of us fathers, like we were unprepared. Like, we were caught off guard a little bit. I was like, I was so shocked. They're like, they let me take this little human home. Like, there's no owner's manual. Like, I had no idea what to do. And I remember for that first three months of being a new dad, uh, I mean, it was rough. Like, your, your, your whole schedule that you had thrown out the window, your sleep schedule, everything, your whole life now revolves around this baby. And I remember that first three months was, was rough. And I think it was largely because I didn't really understand my son. You know, I would, I would put my son down in his crib to go to sleep, and, and I would back up a few feet, and instantly, he's crying. And then I would walk back a couple feet and just be looking over the crib, and he sees me, and then all of a sudden, he stops crying. 
And I'm like, buddy, like, why are you doing this? Just why? Go to sleep. Like, you, I, I have the sound machine. I have the nice sound machine. I have, I, you're swaddled. You have your pacifier. I have a heater set up in the corner that's set to the precise ideal temperature for a baby to sleep. Like, I have, I have the baby monitor, the, the nice one that tells me the temperature in there, and I can, I can move the camera and scan the room for intruders. Like, <laughs> the conditions are ideal for you to sleep. Why don't you just go to sleep? And I was so confused because it felt like he just wanted me to stand over the crib and watch him while he slept. And uh, my wife, Emily, she had to explain something to me. I'm so grateful for my wife. I mean, without my wife, Levi and I, we would be like cavemen, <laughs> like eating soup on the floor watching cartoons. Um, but my wife, she had to explain something to me. And my wife, she has a degree in child development. So she knows how babies work like a lot better than I do. Uh, but she had to explain something to me. It's something called object permanence. And it's something that a baby has to develop and learn uh, and what it is, is the understanding that something still exists, even if you can't see it. Like, that's why peekaboo works with babies. You know, when you, when you cover your face in a baby's mind, like, you just popped out of existence. But then when you go peekaboo, they're, like, all excited that you came back. Um, and it's something that babies have to develop and, and to learn. Uh, and they normally develop this, this ability anywhere between three months old up to two years old. So when I put my son down to go to sleep and, like, stepped back, like, he didn't know that I was still there. Like, he thought I abandoned him. You know, object permanence is, is a developmental milestone for babies to understand that something still exists even if you can't see it. But, friends, I think that's a spiritual milestone as well, is it not? Like how often, like, you know, as Christ followers, when things are going good in our life, we're like, yeah, the Lord's walking with me. He's leading, the, he's leading me on this path. You know, I can see these blessings in my life. Things are going good. But the second hardships hit, we ask that question, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? Why me? You see, that's the spiritual milestone. That when we face trials, when we face hardships in life, to be reminded that God is not absent in our trials, that he is working through it, even if we can't see it. Because trials are, are inevitable. Like, like trials are going to happen to us. I mean, the question is not if trials are going to happen. The question is, what are you going to do when they happen? How do you respond to this? Because God is not absent in our trials, even if we don't see what he is doing. But the hard part is leaning into that reality. That God is still present. He is still there. He is still growing me. And, and that leads into to the bottom line this morning. That, that one thing that I want to get at, that one thing I want us leaving with, is you don't get to choose your trials, but you choose your responses. You know, last week, Pastor John, he, he took a look at the opening of the book of James and, and explored this reality that trials are going to happen in our lives, but they're, they're for a purpose. You know, the hardships that we face are, are for a purpose, that they produce perseverance. But, but the question is, what do we do in the midst of those trials? Like, when they're happening? Like, what is our response? Because here's the thing. The, the, audience, to, uh, the audience who James is writing to, they, they were facing some trials. I, I mean, they were facing some hardships. They were facing some, some bumpy roads in life. 
I mean, they were hated. They were, they, were, they were hated by the Gentiles because they were Jewish, and they were hated by the Jewish people because they were Christian. Like, they faced some, some hardships in life. And here's the thing. For anyone who has faced trials in life, especially when they are happening, when you are in the middle of them, a lot of times it is hard to understand what is going on. And a lot of times it is hard to actually believe that it is for your benefit. But trials produce perseverance. And if you've ever found yourself in this position, maybe in trials, wondering, you know, like, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? Look at what James says. I hope by now you are in James chapter 1. And today we're going to be starting in verse 5. And look what he says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Will you join me as we open up in prayer this morning? Lord, we are grateful for today. We are grateful for the ability to wake up this morning. Lord, we're grateful that you gave us breath this morning, that you gave us breath in our lungs so that we could sing your praises. And Lord, I pray today as we take a look at your word and we talk about trials and the reality of trials, Lord, I pray that you give us the understanding of what trials are doing. Lord, I pray our response to trials is to ask for wisdom so that our trials are not wasted, that our suffering is not wasted, but we grow from it. And Lord, I pray today as we open up your word and you allow me to speak, as you give me the breath to speak, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, do not let me say anything that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence continues to change our lives, continues to shape our lives. Lord, I pray your presence strengthens us in the midst of trials, teaches us and leads us. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So trials are going to happen. I mean, I mean, it, it's going to happen to all of us. Trials are inevitable. Uh, but oftentimes, the problem that happens with trials is we don't understand. Like, we need wisdom to be able to look past our circumstance, to be able to look past the, the here and now, what is happening right in front of us. Like, we need wisdom to be able to look past our circumstances in order to see what the Lord is doing in our lives. Like, friends, we need wisdom to see that the appearance of trials does not, does not mean that God disappeared. Like, we need wisdom in the midst of our trials. And this is something that James is leaning into. We need to ask for wisdom in the midst of our trials. But, but in reality, how often, when we're facing those hardships, when we're facing trials, how, in reality, how often do we come before God and say, God, I need wisdom here? Like, increase my understanding of this. 
Like for most of us, it's, it's the opposite. <laughs> We're like, God, don't let this happen. Like, why is this happening to me? You see, we can't choose our trials, but we can choose our response. And our response should be to ask. I mean, look at what James says here in, in verse 5. Just look at the wording of this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Like, we need to ask for wisdom. Why? Because, one, we need more wisdom. Like, I, I haven't met a person who says, hey, when it comes to this wisdom department, like, I got it. Like, the people who are truly wise are like, I need more wisdom. We need more wisdom. And secondly, here's the kicker. God wants to give it to you. Like, God wants to give you wisdom. Like, this is the character of God, like, that we can see throughout the text of Scripture. Like, he wants you to come to him for wisdom, and he wants to give it to you. Our God is a, a gracious, giving, and compassionate God. I mean, this is his character. I mean, this is something that we see throughout the text of Scripture. Now, you don't have to turn there, but, but look at this. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Uh, John 3.16, most of us are familiar with. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. His one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We need to ask for wisdom because God gives generously. As James would say, he gives generously to all. And like, I love that word all. Because like, God doesn't play favorites when it comes to this. When you come to God for wisdom, God doesn't play favorites here. He's not like, okay, you're not one of my top followers. Like, you know, you, your church attendance is, is a little spotty, so you don't get wisdom. Like, no, it says he gives. So ask. Like, God doesn't scoff. It also says, like, look, look, it says, it says without fault. He gives without fault. Like, God does not scoff at your request. When you come to God for wisdom, he's not like, are you serious? Like, you need wisdom for something as simple as that. Like, when you come to God for wisdom, he's not like, oh, you again? Like, like can you not just figure it out? Like, God gives so ask. I mean, look at what Charles Spurgeon said. In regards to this text, he says, we are all so ready to go to books, to go to men, to go to ceremonies, to anything except God. And consequently, the text does not say, let him ask books, nor ask priests, but let him ask of God. God wants to give it, and he wants you to ask for it. Like, friends, we need to develop this habit of asking for wisdom. Like when it comes to the trials that we face, we need wisdom, friend. Do not just waste your trials. Do not just waste your suffering. Do not waste your hardship, but grow from it. We need wisdom to do that. We need to ask for wisdom. And I hope you know that there's, there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Like knowledge is, is the facts, the data, the things that we can study, the things that, that we learn, what we know, Whereas wisdom is how we, apply, how we correctly use the knowledge. Like for an example, uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. And wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato into a fruit salad. 
And if you put tomatoes in a fruit salad, go read James chapter 1, verse 5. <laughs> uh, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. So ask. And like, here's the thing, like knowing that God is in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our hardships, knowing that he wants to give us wisdom, friends, is a rock that we can stand on. Because like, here's the thing, we don't serve a far off God who turns his head when things get rough. Like, no, we serve a God who's in the middle of the rough. So pray for wisdom. And like, here's the thing, rely on that wisdom that the Lord gives you. Rely on the wisdom that the Lord has promised. Because look at what James says next. In verse 6, he says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So James is saying that when we ask, like we got to actually believe that God is going to give it to us. Like when facing trials, we are to ask God for wisdom and truly believe that he will give it. Friends, it is, it is as simple as that. Because what James says is the person who asks but doesn't expect to receive that wisdom, that person is double-minded. Uh, the word here in, in the Greek could like literally translate as someone who has two souls, like a two-souled person. One soul that believes and, and another that does not. But this reveals a deeper problem than just doubting that God will answer a request. But rather, it's someone's unwillingness to live in the will of God. So, so James here is delivering this warning to those who want God's direction, but in reality are trying to keep all the other options open. Like, it's like, okay, I'm going to ask God for wisdom. God, can I get wisdom here? But if I don't like it, I'm going to go try to figure it out on my own. Like James would say that that person is unstable in all they do. They're like a wave of the sea, getting tossed to the right and to the left, leaning towards God one day and then to the world the next. So, so when we ask God, we have to ask in faith. And asking in faith means that you've made up your mind. Like you've made up your mind in this matter. It's like, I want the wisdom of the Lord. I don't want the wisdom of the world. I want the wisdom of the Lord so that I can obey the will of the Lord. Like I've made up my mind. I want the Lord's wisdom. So when it comes to trials that we face, we need to ask for wisdom because God will give it, but we also need to trust that wisdom. We can't be like, well, God, I, I don't know about this. Like, I'm going to go try to figure it out on my own. You know, friend, if you trust God with your salvation, why would you not trust him with the wisdom that he gives you? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Look at how James continues here in verse 9. He says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, and its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. And in the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So for a lot of us, we're like, what did you just say, James? <laughs> Like, he was just talking about trials and, and wisdom and asking God for wisdom. And then all of a sudden, he just switches the topic in a sense. Like, we get this illustration that seems a little out of place. But actually, it points to our perspective. 
You see, uh, what we have here is this like paradox in, in, in a sense. You know, that the, the poor person in essence should take pride in their high position, but the rich person should take pride in their humiliation. Like this is like a paradox. But, but you see, here's the thing. Like paradoxes are actually really valuable and effective vehicles for truth. Because it forces a person to think. You know, and like, and like scripture is, is full of these. You know, like the, the weak are strong, the, 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 the rich are poor, the empty are full, the slave is free, the cursed is blessed, death brings life. You see, these type of paradoxes forces the reader to think. So let's do the same here. Because like, here's the thing, both rich and poor are on level ground when it comes to trials and hardships. Like, the rain falls on all men's houses. Like, your, your wealth will not protect you from hardships. Your wealth will not protect you from suffering. Like, both the poor and the rich person are on level ground when it comes to trials in life. And here's the thing. Both the poor and the rich person are also on level ground when it comes to their identity in Christ. You know, both the rich and poor are giving, given a new status in Christ. So what James is saying here is that this poor person should take pride in their high position. What is that high position? As a child of God. I mean, I mean look, at, look what Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's about a page to the right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, if we could only hang on to that reality, if we can only hang on to that position, for those who are in Christ as God's special possession, like, because here's the thing, it doesn't matter the numbers in your bank account. It doesn't matter how well your investments are doing. It doesn't matter how many properties you own. It doesn't matter how many businesses you started, whether you live in a studio apartment or in a mansion. For those who are in Christ, you are God's special possession. A ch- child to him. Like, if, if we can only come to terms with that. Like, friends, that is something to boast in that I have been redeemed by the grace of God and the creator of the heavens and the earth calls me son. (laughs) When you rest in that position, the positions of the world seem a whole lot less valuable, don't they? A whole lot less important. But that God calls me a son. And on the flip side, James says that the rich person should take pride in their humiliation. I know a lot of us in here are like, all right, pew, like I'm not rich. I can check out for a minute. You want to hear a fun fact? Uh, if, if you make $60,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners worldwide. Top 1%. So don't check out too quickly. That this rich person should take pride in their humiliation. You see, a rich believer needs to remember that he cannot trust in his wealth. He cannot trust in his possessions because it can wither as quickly as a flower losing a petal. We can't put our hope and our faith in the things that we own in numbers on a computer. A friend, there's no trailer hitches on hearses. Like when we die, it 
stays here. Like our material wealth stays here. Like material wealth can so easily lure people to focus their attention on things, to take pride and value in their possessions and in the things that they own. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. So you have to make a choice. And the word here for money that Jesus uses is the word mammon. And what it is, it's, a, it's an Aramaic word for money. But interestingly enough, that word actually doesn't mean money. It means that which a person puts their trust in. I mean, this word could be translated as, as wealth, as, as positions, but oftentimes it gets translated as money. You cannot serve both God and money. So the, the, the humili- going back to what James is saying, this humiliation that James is speaking of is not presenting ourselves as, as rich, but as humble beggars before God. Like, I'm not putting my hope and my trust in the things that I own. I'm putting it in Christ. Like, this is like that humiliation. Like, because the world would say, no, put your hope in things. Put your hope in possessions. Put your hope in money. Put your hope in your retirement. But that rich person should say, that's not where my hope is. I don't take pride in my wealth. I, I take pride in the position that the Lord has given me as a son or as a daughter to him. Because, like, here's the thing. The rain falls on all men's houses. Hardships, trials come for both the rich and the poor. And both the rich and the poor are, are on the same when it comes to this. And, and going back to what James said in verse 5, that we are to ask for wisdom. That word, ask, that is like beggar terminology. That you need to ask for wisdom. Because here's the thing. You can't buy wisdom from God. You can't earn wisdom from God you have to ask for it. So the rich person should boast in this humiliation that, that I'm a beggar before God. Like, friends, that's, that's wisdom. Like, how foolish of us to boast in earthly riches when there's eternity beyond. I mean, look at what Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. You know, friend, if you, if you put your hope in wealth, in things, like you're going to be disappointed. But you see, Paul here instructions, instructs them to, to lay up treasures not for this world, but for the coming age. To take hold of life that is truly life. Friend, you want to know what true life is? It is found in Jesus Christ alone. It is not found in this world. It's not found in the things that we own, in the possessions that the Lord has allowed us to steward. True life is found in Christ alone. And friend, that's wisdom. 
And as we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. And we'll finish here today in verse 12 of James chapter 1. Look at how he finishes this. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, persevering through the trials of life that that come for both the high and the low brings, as James would say, blessing. A crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. See, friends, this is the motivation to persevere through trials is our love for God. Like you can't choose your trials, but you choose your responses. So so I want to ask you the question this morning, what is your response? Like maybe some of us in here right now, we're going through something in life. And I can guarantee most of us in here, we will probably go through something else in life, another trial. But what is your response? Is it sliding back into addictions? Is it clinging to worldly things? Is it seeking the world's wisdom? Is it trying to satisfy the flesh? Or is it responding in faith, seeking the Lord's wisdom? Because, friends, sinful temptation can only be overcome by a greater passion. That is our love for God. And one day you will be rewarded for every time you've responded in faith, trusting God's wisdom that comes through prayer. Like this should be our response to the trials that we face in life, is asking the Lord for wisdom to teach me what he wants me to. To not let this suffering be wasted, but to allow me to grow from it. And friends, to grow from our suffering, we need wisdom. That's why we need to ask for wisdom, because the Lord will give it. Like you don't choose your trials, but you choose how you respond to them. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we are grateful for the trials in life. (laughs) And Lord, I I pray that we don't waste them. I pray that we don't go through the trials of life just kicking and screaming, but Lord, seeking your wisdom so you can teach us what you want to through the midst of our trials. Lord, I pray that's our response. Whenever we hit those bumpy parts of life that we turn to you, not to anything else, Let us ask of you, Lord, we are so grateful for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and the willingness to give us wisdom when we ask for it. Lord, I pray we lean into that. Lord, we are grateful for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you continue to do. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.